Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Well, we are in our final installment of our I Got the Joy series. This is part 11. We've spent the last 11 weeks uh, digging into Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And I just I just pray that it's been a rich experience for you. It, it truly has for me. And uh, it's just interesting um, how God works as, as we've been going through Philippians. I, I mean, there's some big time stuff in there. Um, and, and and it's so relevant to what uh, we're going through right now in our cultural moment. And I uh, hope you've felt the same way too. Uh, I pray that the joy of the Lord has started to be cultivated in you, even through this difficult season that we find ourselves in. Pray that you have received the revelation that our citizenship is in heaven first and foremost before our earthly citizenship. Therefore, we don't get our cues from American politics. We don't get our cues from, from our culture. We get our cues from scripture and from the spirit of God because we are citizens of heaven. Pray that you are learning to be content in any and all circumstances and, and that you are discovering that it's Christ who gives you the strength to be content in any and all circumstances. And pray that you are counting all things rubbish compared to knowing Jesus the way the Apostle Paul did and wrote in this amazing letter. Well, let's get into our passage for today. It's going to be uh, Philippians chapter number four, verses 14 through 20. And it says this, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Some translations say troubles or afflictions. Uh, Verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit or profit, as some translations say, that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would anoint this word, anoint me, use me in spite of me. And in spite of my flaws, I pray that your perfect word would go forth in power and authority. I pray that everybody watching today would be ready and hungry to receive your word and your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of our core values here at the Grace Place NYC is that the gospel would inspire us to be generous givers, that we would be so captivated by what Christ did for us on the cross that we would be generous in giving our time, our gifts, and our our resources and our finances uh, in service to the Lord. Uh, God the Father is generous. He gave his son. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is generous. He left heaven and all of his his all of his royalty and and 
um, privileges and he emptied himself and he and he was obedient even unto a cross. He generously and lavishly gave himself on the cross and took our penalty upon himself so that we could have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is generous. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been pouring himself into men and women that call upon the name of Jesus so generously and so lavishly. Prisoners in ancient times would have to fend for themselves when it came to basic necessities like clothes, food, or water. It wasn't like the prison system here in the United States, where here in the state of New York, prisoners get three meals a day, seven days a week. It wasn't like that in ancient times. Uh, you would have to uh, rely on friends and family to supply these daily needs, or the prisoners would simply go without, and you would Many prisoners would starve to death if they didn't have anybody helping them out for these basic necessities. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church to express his joy towards them for their generosity. They sent Epaphroditus, one of the church members, to deliver an offering to Paul during this prison stint. And if you remember, on his way there, he got really sick and almost died, right? And so Epaphroditus... Uh, risked his life to bring Paul this offering in order to help him in his uh, prison stint. Another footnote to consider is that the Philippian church was not made up of super wealthy people. It, it, it was actually more of a lower class of people that made up this church. Uh, they didn't have a ton of resources yet. That didn't stop them from being generous. It reminds me of our church. We don't by any means have unlimited resources, yet God is still inviting us into generous living and generous giving. Amen? I want the Grace Place NYC to be a gospel-centered church that is generous. In fact, you can't be gospel-centered, meaning uh, a church that desires to embody Jesus to their neighbors and not be generous. I want to end our I Got the Joy series today by talking to you about the five marks of a gospel-centered church. We find in this passage five marks of a gospel-centered church. Mark number one is a gospel-centered church shares in the distress of others. A gospel-centered church shares in the distress of their neighbors. Uh, verse 14 says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. The church that Christ died for and established is not a passive church, is not a lukewarm church, okay? We don't look at the distresses, troubles, and afflictions that our neighbors are facing and, and look the other way or simply take a political stance on it. That's not what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do. That's not an option for believers, Okay, A God-honoring, Jesus-loving church has compassion and empathy for the distressed and troubled among them. Even if we're troubled and distressed as well, that word shared in this verse, verse 14, means a business partnership. It was a, it was a financial term that Paul used. In other words, the church is called into a business partnership with people who can never pay them back. Did you hear that? The church is called into a business partnership 
with people who can never pay them back. Paul didn't have the means to pay the Philippians back. He was in prison for crying out loud. He didn't have any money to pay him back. He didn't have any he didn't have any income flow to one day pay them back. He had nothing to his name and could be by the way executed at any moment. This is how the early church functioned. Which by the way they dealt with plenty of distressed, oppressed and persecuted people. They didn't have any freedoms because they were ruled by the Roman Empire. Let's look at how the first church walked this idea of sharing in the distress of others out and and how it laid a pattern for us to follow. Let's look at Acts chapter number 4, verses 32 through 35, and I am reading from the Message Paraphrase uh, Bible. And it says this, The whole congregation of believers was united as one. One heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to each person's need. I love the statement, and grace was on all of them. And grace was on all of them. There was a mutual understanding from the wealthiest among them to the poorest among them that they had experienced the undeserved favor of God when Christ came into their lives so that grace informed how they lived and how they gave. Amen. There was a grace on them all to share everything they had with one another. Uh, If there was a need in the church, the church worked to meet that need. This wasn't some sort of socialist agenda at work. Okay, It was the Spirit of God at work in the lives of believers that created a culture of generosity. A gospel-centered church is a church full of good Samaritans. They're they're not full of people that walk around the hurting person, the distressed person. They they are the ones that, that go to the distressed person and help them. They share in their distress. But we're not like selfish children that say, mine, 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 when another child wants to play with their toys. That's not who we're called to be. We're growing in maturity and generosity and saying, what's mine is yours. If you have a need and I can meet it, I will do it. I will do everything in my power to share in your distress and weakness. And it doesn't have to be something huge either. The other day I was telling uh, Michelle that uh, our kid's room uh, was very hot because we didn't, we, 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 when we got back from Texas, we did, we just didn't put a window unit uh, in the window because we have a bracket up and it wasn't worth having the super come and take it out and all that because it's going to turn cooler soon. So, But the room was really hot. And so she said, well, we have a box fan that you can borrow. And so we were able to borrow and it really helped cool off the room. You know, um, sharing in each other's distresses could be as big as selling property and using the profit to help other people or as small as letting someone borrow your box fan. Okay, 
It, the, the, what matters is that we're sharing in the distress and the trouble of other people, our neighbors and our church family. So mark number one is a gospel-centered church shares in the distress of others. Mark number two is a gospel-centered church has generosity ingrained in her culture. Generosity is ingrained in her culture. Let's read Philippians 4 verses 15 and 16 again, but in the NIV translation. And it says this, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This wasn't the first time the Philippians had given to Paul. They weren't one-hit wonders like vanilla ice with ice, ice baby, okay? That Paul says, even in your early days of your church being established, you were the only church that gave to me when I was in need. You were the only one that gave. This culture of generosity was ingrained in this church. It was a part of their DNA. It was a part of their makeup. It was who they were. By the way, generosity and joy are inextricably linked with one another. The more generous you are, the more joy you will have in your life. And the more stingier you are, the less joy you will have in your life. The reason this epistle is the epistle of joy is because the Philippians were a generous people. And joy and generosity are linked. We think the more money and possessions and power we can acquire for ourselves will bring more joy to us. But the truth is, the reality is, is that the more we give away to others, that is what brings us true joy. Why wouldn't any other churches support Paul financially? He said to the Philippians, except you only. Why wouldn't any other church share in Paul's distress? We can only speculate, but in my observation, churches stop being generous when they become inwardly focused. When they stop focusing on getting the gospel out, when they stop focusing on helping the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor and the needy, when they become all about me and my brand and what I'm doing and how awesome I am, that the generosity stops, okay? And the, and the church becomes inward focused. They lose focus on others and the focus starts to begin on them and what's going on with themselves. It becomes about the church's brand above all other things. I was in a meeting at Metro World Child this week and someone got up and spoke about the struggles that other countries like in Europe and, and India and Kenya, the others, they, they were talking about the struggles that other countries were facing because of their government lockdown because of COVID and, 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 and the needs of these countries and what Metro World Child was doing around the world. And, and, and we're so inundated with with news and politics and polarization in our country that we forget that other countries are struggling right now too, right? And as I was listening to this woman talk, I felt like God was jerking me out of the stupor I was in and he was literally just broadening my perspective. I was so just focused on me and my little world that as I was hearing what's happening in other parts of the world, it just opened my eyes and broadened my perspective, and I think that's really important that we that, that our perspectives are broadened and expanded. Amen. 
And as far as the church being consumer and brand driven, I think, to be honest, I think the American church is completely out of control. Uh, when mega churches are installing full court basketball courts on their stage during March Madness for a sermon series, with God knows how much money they spent on that, I, I think that's I think that's a little much, you know. I, I love how one church a couple years ago they looked at how much they spent on their their uh, Easter outreach, where they would rent a helicopter and rent a football field and. They would drop a gazillion eggs down and, and all these kids would, would get these eggs, which, which was great. But they looked at how much money they spent on that. And instead, they, they used the money they would have spent on an Easter outreach to pay off people's medical bills. They, they, they took the focus off themselves. They took the focus on how many people can we reach in this outreach so they'll come to church. And they turned the focus to people who were distressed and, and, and they were up to their eyeballs in, in hospital debt, and they helped alleviate some of their stress. I, I know this sounds cliche, but generosity really is about the heart. Because, you know, there are wealthy people that are super stingy, super greedy, and there are wealthy people who are super, super generous in giving. There are poor people that are super greedy and super stingy, and there are poor people that are super generous and super willing to give the little that they have. Generosity is not about how much money you have. It's about what's in your heart. So Mark number two is a gospel-centered church has generosity ingrained in her culture. And Mark number three is a gospel-centered church's eternal account is full. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit or profit that abounds to your account. Again, here, Paul is using financial uh, terminology here. As Christians, we should be more interested in storing up treasures in heaven than storing up treasures on earth, period. Okay. Yet we have so many believers that say they trust God in every area of their lives, but they don't ever give to God through the local church. They'll buy the newest phone as soon as it comes out, but they won't increase their giving to God. They won't increase their generosity to God. A gospel-centered church is fruitful in her generosity. That is a clear mark of a gospel-centered church. When Paul says, I'm not seeking the gift, I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances, but I seek the fruit or profit that abounds to your account, what he's saying is, the Philippians were accruing eternal dividends to their spiritual account by their generous gifts. When Paul says, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, what he's saying is that this church entered into an arrangement of giving and receiving where they gave materially to Paul and received spiritually from the Lord. The Lord keeps the books on your generosity and will never fail to return on the investment that we sow into his kingdom. Amen. If the Lord is keeping the books, you don't have to feel like you can't afford to tithe or give or be generous. And in fact, if the Lord is keeping the books, you can't afford not to tithe. You can't afford not to be generous because you're missing out on what God can do in your life. 
generosity and giving, that's a discipleship thing. The, the Spirit of God wants to form and shape us into generous people in every area of our lives. You don't have to worry that if you give to God, you're going to lack in other areas of your life because God's going to take care of you. God's got your back. Amen? In fact, right where you're at, I want you to just say to yourself, what, right where you're watching, God's got my back. God's got my back. God, thank you. You got my back. I, I can't ever outgive you. I can trust you because you got my back. Pastor Alistair Begg notes that while it's not a bad idea to have an IRA, an individual retirement account, every believer should have an IEA, an individual eternal account. That is, we should be laying up treasures in heaven. Let me ask you this. What's in your IEA? What's in your individual eternal account? When was the last time you contributed to your IEA? There are some people who are constantly checking their investment accounts to see if they've risen or fallen, right? There's people that are constantly checking those things. But are we that meticulous about what we're giving to the eternal kingdom of God? A church that isn't generous is a poor church, regardless of how much money they have in the account, regardless of how many people they have, regardless of how up-to-date their technology is, regardless of how big and massive and, and, and state-of-the-art their facility is. A church that is not generous is poor. If you'll enter into this gospel partnership with God, your eternal account will never be in the red. Amen. And then mark number four is this. A gospel-centered church sacrifices to please God. Verse 18 says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. A gospel-centered church does not give lots of money for recognition or for vain conceit or so that we can be uh, on some list of the churches that gave the most money, which there are lists out there like that. The motive for generosity should always be to please God above everything else. It should be to please our Heavenly Father above recognition in the community or to get pats on the back. The reason we give is to please our Father. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made with the right heart and attitude, that burnt offering would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that was what Paul was referring to here. You know, when I hear that, that phrase, sweet aroma that pleases the Lord, I think about when I'm out somewhere and I come home and I open the door to my apartment and this sweet aroma of what Priscilla is cooking just hits my nose and I, I just smile and I'm just like, I'm about to get my grub on and with something good, maybe some cookie she's making or, or dinner that she's making. And it just it just hits my nose as a sweet aroma. And I know that, that, that I'm about to fill my belly with some good cooking. You know, when, when we sacrifice for the Lord with the right heart, with the right motive, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. And finally, Mark number five is this. A gospel-centered church's supply never ends. It only multiplies. It only multiplies, church. When you're connected to God and you're partnered with God, 
man, when you're partnered with God to further the gospel and you're, and you're giving and you're trusting God, your supply will never end. It will only multiply. Verse 19 says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not your riches, not someone else's, not man's riches. It's his riches and glory. Notice that Paul didn't say here that I shall supply all your need because Paul didn't have it to give, right? Paul is telling the Philippian church that because you guys met my one need, God is going to meet all of your needs. You gave out of your limited resources, but my God will supply you abundantly out of his riches and glory. That sounds like an amazing deal to me. Amen. When we trust God enough to be generous to others in need, it's a guarantee that God is going to take care of you. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says this, there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The kingdom of God is truly an upside-down kingdom. The one who scatters, releases his resources, increases more in God's kingdom. But the one who holds on to what he has tightly is led into poverty. God promises that if we refresh others, he will refresh us. The more we give away to his kingdom, the more increase we'll have in our lives. The more we scatter what God blesses us with, the more he increases into our eternal accounts. God is a good father, and if we're using our resources generously, to bless others, and we are handling and stewarding our money wisely, he's going to take care of us and provide for us. Now, he won't supply all of our greed, but he will supply all of our needs. Amen. And you need to hear that. Some people, they, they want to tap into God's supply because of their greed. That You know, if, 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 you, if we're trying to use God in order to somehow get rich, you're barking up the wrong tree, okay? If we're only giving because we think we have some sort of formula for God to, to bless us, like we, we have some control over God. If I do this, God is required to do that. God's not required to do anything. But he says he will supply your need, but, he's, but he can do whatever he wants. He's God. If we, if we think we have some sort of formula for God to bless us, that's the wrong motive, right, for giving. And God is not going to bless that. He looks at our heart. There is an inseparable relationship between financial giving and gospel partnership. In other words, if you aren't giving, you're not a partner. You might think you're a partner, but if you're not giving, you're not a true partner. You're more of a consumer, okay? And we're not called to be consumers. We're called to be co-laborers, okay? God has entrusted the church to believers who the Spirit of God is in, and he calls us to be co-laborers with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Okay, God is inviting you and I into a gospel partnership where we use our resources to help people find Jesus. 
Amen? Will you accept the invitation today? Although we're not a big church with a huge budget, we are in gospel partnership with other kingdom ministries. For example, we financially give to the Church Multiplication Network. They're an organization that helps equip and launch and plant and resource church planters. Uh, Since 2008, they've helped over 4,000 new churches launch strong, and we financially partner with them. We financially partner with Expect Hope, which is a crisis pregnancy home uh, right up in the Bronx. They house uh, they house expecting mothers and, and they take them through a discipleship process. It's a two-year journey and we financially partner with them. We, we financially partner with Ben Struss and his family. They are missionaries to Indonesia. Uh, many of you don't know this, but our parent church planted uh, a church in Honduras and we financially partner with the Grace Place Honduras. This is, this is incredible. The different partnerships that, that we are involved in the different gospel partnerships. And, and when they, when they see a soul saved, right? We get to share in their win. When, when they disciple another believer, we get to share in that win. When someone gets delivered from addiction, when someone gets delivered from demon possession, we get to share in that victory. When someone gets water baptized, and they make a decision that they're following Jesus, we get to share in that victory, amen, because we are gospel partners. As the Spirit puts it on your heart to give more generously, He will honor your faithfulness and your fruitfulness in the area of giving. I promise you that. Listen to what Jesus says in His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, and then we're going to jump down to verse 24. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which means money, wealth, or riches. You can't serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and money. Money, wealth, riches cannot be your master while at the same time you declare and you claim that Jesus is Lord of your life. It's one or the other according to Jesus Christ. Are you laying up treasures here on earth, church? Are you laying up treasures here on earth? Are you storing up treasures here on earth? Are you living for the temporal in the here and now? Maybe some of you watching today are so consumed with building your wealth here on earth that you hold back giving to God because you have a financial plan. You want to get to this point at this stage in your life, and you'll even withhold from God in order to meet that goal. You're storing up treasures here on earth. And I, I think it's great and necessary to have financial goals, but not at the expense of holding back, withholding from God. That's when, that's when your plan has become an idol in your life. That's when you're serving another master. 
See, money is a great tool, but it's a ruthless master. It, it'll beat you down. It'll, it'll make you do things that um, you would never think of doing. Money is a great tool to use for kingdom purposes, right? And to be a blessing and to even give your family what, 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 what they need. But it's a ruthless, evil master. And at the end, it's a master that cannot give you anything. It'll leave you helpless and hopeless. Please hear me as I'm about to close. I'm not preaching this message because I want a bunch of offerings this week. That's not my heart. That's not my motivation. I want you to experience the joy that comes from generosity. I want you to experience the joy that comes from being a scatterer, from, from, from refusing to withhold and, and saying, you know what, I see this need. I'm going to share in their distress. I'm going to help this person. I'm going to give generously to my local church, to, 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 to my storehouse where I'm being spiritually fed. I'm going to give generously to, 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 to missions works and church planting works and, and different kingdom organizations that are doing great things. I, I'm going to do this. And as you do that, as you give, as you stretch yourself, as you allow the spirit of, of God to, to shape and form and disciple you in this area, I promise you, the more you give, the more you release, the more you let go, and the more joy that you will experience in your life, I promise you. I want you to experience the joy that comes from gospel partnership. I want you to experience that joy in your life, church. That, that's my heart. As your pastor, that is my heart, to see you experience the joy of generosity. When you give to the church or a missions organization, you essentially share in the fruit of that ministry. And as you share in that fruit, my goodness, God will supply all you need and he'll supply you with joy unspeakable. It, it, it's just absolutely amazing. I know it from experience. Sometimes it hurts to give. Sometimes it's a sacrifice but it's a sweet aroma to God. And he's got your back. He's going to take care of you. And you're going to have so much joy. It's going to be amazing. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.